You know, as we go through this series that we've been in on family, there is a danger, I think, that we face as a church and as individuals, one that I've noted before, but one that I think needs to be reiterated constantly, and that is a kind of, in fact, see that in the Bible, that the family is the starting point for society, for the church, and that the family is the beginning institution, really, that we see in Genesis as we open up the pages of the Bible. And so the family is of utmost importance, but it is not an end in and of itself. God is the end. God is the goal, and his glory is everything. And so I think one of the things that could happen as a result of this series is you begin to idolize your family. And so one of the things that Timothy Keller talks about in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, is uh, marriage idolatry. So you begin to focus so much on your marriage, so much on your own performance in marriage, so much on whether or not your, your spouse is performing well and there's sort of health in the marriage that you begin to idolize it, to, to raise it up above where it ought to be, to see it as separate from God or as greater than God. And I think as we talk about a child's obedience in particular, there is a subtle danger to avoid as well. And I think that is the idol of control. As we start to look at what the Bible calls us as parents to do, and that is to train our children in obedience, there is, I think, for some of us more than others, the temptation to seek after this idol of having greater control over our children. And so there's this desire that we want to have them sort of controlled. We want to have all of our ducks in a row. We want to have it together, and we even want to appear that way in front of others. And one of the ways that you can know And we all fall into this. We all fall into this. One of the ways that you can know that this is becoming an idol for you is if you discipline your children and treat your children differently in public than you do in private. You know, it's one thing when you're you're with your kids at church and they're doing something crazy and you're like, people are looking at me. They think I'm a bad parent. I gotta act. I gotta do something. And you begin to function as a parent differently in public to perform for others so that others pat you on the back or think you're doing a great job or, or don't think you're doing a poor job. But then when you're at home, maybe you're much more patient. Maybe you're much more understanding. Maybe you're much more sympathetic. Maybe you're much more kind of, you, you work with them. You guide them through the process of obedience. This, I think, indicates that we've taken this this idea of controlling our children to obey, getting them into this, fitting them into this hole, and having our lives all together, ducks in a row, and having it appear to everyone around us that this is the case. I think this demonstrates that for us, the family, and in particular parenting, has taken on an unhealthy place in our lives. That wasn't notes, that was something else. So, how do we avoid doing this? I mentioned before that we have this consistent approach towards our children. We have integrity about the way we discipline them. We treat them the exact same way in private that we do in public. And that is very difficult because our pride is always operating. We always want to appear the best before people because we're afraid of people. We're afraid of what they think. We're afraid of how they might criticize us or accuse us or not get the full picture They don't really, I really do discipline my kids. That was just a lapse of judgment. That was just a lapse, a momentary lapse. We care so much about that. So I think having integrity and consistency 
is one way we avoid this. Another way I think that we avoid it, and this is important, it's kind of twofold, is that we discipline our kids, we operate with our kids on God's behalf. Think about it that way. How often do you see your kids as yours? I have to control these kids, they're mine. I have to discipline these kids, they're mine, they belong to me. I think the better way to think about it, the biblical way to think about it, is that God has entrusted children into our care and they ultimately belong to him. They are a trust. So parenting really is a stewardship. Just like everything else that God gives to us, we have it and we use it and we, we deal with it, we relate to it on God's behalf and for his sake. So on God's behalf, and then here's another idea, for their good. Now that sounds obvious, but it's not. Because so often the way that we relate to our children has more to do with our own pride more to do with our own sense of self-congratulation or self-righteousness or, as I said before, how we appear in front of other people. It has a lot less to do with our kids. As long as we have them in line, we feel like we are in control of our lives. As long as people think that we have it under control, we're good. That is a selfless approach, even if, a selfish approach, even if it bears good, healthy fruit, at least in appearance, at the core, it is rotten. And so one of the ways that we prevent this from happening, I think, is that everything we do with our children in terms of training them and disciplining them and shooting for their obedience, all of that is done with a self-giving spirit so that we communicate always to our children that we do everything for their good, not for our own selfish ends, because as we relate to them, we are always laying down self always dying to self. So these are just some of the ways, I think, that we avoid the idolatry that can creep in when it comes to parenting. My family, for his glory, that is the series that we've been in now for quite some time. And we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 6, 4. So you can go ahead and open there to that passage in your Bibles. Ephesians 5:22 to 6:4. Last week, we began in 6:1 looking at children. So we've looked at wives, we've looked at husbands, and then we began last week in chapter 6 verse 1 looking at children as we started to look at a child's obedience. And last week what I wanted to focus on was not so much a child's obedience but children in general. So I wanted to look at some basic things that we know about children from the context of this passage in all of Scripture, in the epistle to the Ephesians, in the immediate context, and then even in the opening words of this passage. And there were a few things that we looked at last week. We saw that children are given as a blessing. We saw that they serve as an illustration. They derive from union, and they depend on our authority. You know, there's, you, you can, there's kind of two pits that you can fall in, really. You can sort of adore your children and see them, you know, as this great blessing from God as they are. And then you can fail to really deal with them in a way that they need to be dealt with. That understands that folly is in their hearts. That understands that they are born in sin. That understands that they need to be trained and pushed and encouraged and challenged. And all of this, you can fall into that. Or you can get so wrapped up 
in training your child, kind of like a machine, that you forget that they are this precious treasure from the Lord, that they are a gift, that they are a blessing, not a machine to be programmed, but a human being made in the image of God, a precious soul that will live forever one way or another. So that's what we looked at last week. We focused on children. And today is the second sermon on children. I want to focus on obedience in particular. I want to really focus on this idea of obedience. So if you go ahead and put that slide up. Thank you, Thomas. And there are four things that we will consider this morning as we look at chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. And here they are. A child's obedience pleases the Lord. A child's obedience begins with the heart. A child's obedience prepares for life, and a child's obedience brings happiness. I think that is, at the very least, what we, what we find in the opening verses of chapter 6 of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. So let's go to the Lord in prayer after we read these verses. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. We'll come next week or next time we we enter into this passage, we will come to fathers and we'll begin to look at the specifics of training. But today we're focusing really on a child's obedience and all that that entails and involves and what we find here in this passage. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask him that he will help us to apply this to our lives, that the Holy Spirit will make this immediately applicable to each of us. Where we are, we're all in different places. Children of different ages, some with no children, but you have grandchildren. Some just have friends with children. We're all in different places, in different circumstances in life. So let's pray that God the Holy Spirit will apply this to us in the way that it needs to be applied, as only he can do. Our Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. We thank you for your word incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to save his bride, who came and laid down his life. He gave up his life for us that he might sanctify us, that he might purify us, that we will be before him without spot or wrinkle or any such stain, that we would be perfect, holy, and blameless in his sight before him at his coming. We worship you, God, thanking you that Christ Jesus has given up everything so that we could attain glory with you forever. God, we glory in that this morning, and above all, we just worship you. We worship you because you are our Father because we are your possession. You have, you have taken hold of us and liberated us from sin, from death, and from hell. And God, we worship you this morning because you alone are God. Everything else is unworthy of our worship. Everything else is a, is a potential idol. But you, O oh Lord, are God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega. You are the Lord, the God who establishes covenants with men, the God who comes to us in the person of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We worship you today, God, and we ask that you will take this practical instruction to children and also by extension to parents who are listening, who are trying to raise their children well. Would you, would you apply this truth that we find in your word 
to our hearts individually, God. Would you make it clear to us how we are to leave today acting differently, thinking differently, praying differently after this time together in worship? Would we encourage one another as we're here together today? Thank you for this body. Thank you, God, that you have given us brothers and sisters in Christ to love and to be loved by. And God, we just offer all these things up to you today in praise. We pray that your name will be exalted here. And God, that love will, will prevail as we interact with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing to look at here regarding a child's obedience is that it pleases the Lord. Very basic idea. Very basic, but very, very important. Often cliched. So look at chapter 6 again, verse 1 to 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He goes on to say, honor your father and mother. At the very beginning of parenting, and you, this may not have occurred to you, especially if, you, if you're a believer, you've been coming to church for some time, you, you've been in the faith, walking in the spirit. This may even then have not Uh, maybe has not occurred to you. At the very beginning of parenting, there must be a firm conviction that there is such a thing as right and wrong. You have to get that. That's at the very beginning. There is such a thing as right and wrong. There is a right way to parent. It is not a buffet. There is a right way to do it. And there is a wrong way, a multitude of wrong ways to do it. Right is understood as that which is in accordance with God's order. He's the creator. He made us. He made kids. He made parents. He made everything. He is the designer. And it is in accordance with his will, what he lays out to be right. That which is in accordance with God's perfect will. God defines what is right as the creator, and he communicates that to us clearly and concretely in a special way in his word, the Bible. And so this is why the, the, sufficiency, the, the, sorry, the sufficiency of scripture is so important, is because God, the creator, the one who made us, who designed us, who has set our life out and will unfold it before our eyes, has given us what we need to know in the Bible. He's revealed himself specifically in a special way here and clearly. And so we open up the Bible and we come to know what God's right is, what right means. And this conviction that there is a difference between right and wrong, that there is in fact a right and wrong, must then be followed by a resolve to do what is right, to do that which God has revealed, what is revealed and instructed in his word. This is not what the culture tells us to do. This is not what our friends tell us to do. Even as adult parents, what our parents necessarily tell us to do, our grandparents or aunts and uncles or anyone else, we do what God's word instructs us to do as parents. There is a lot of listening to the culture that you don't even know about, that that we don't even see. Every TV show we watch, every movie we watch, every song we listen to, every time we engage with people out in the world, people at work, we are forming, that is affecting our worldview. That is affecting our understanding of reality. That is informing how we understand right and wrong, good parenting and bad parenting. And when you compare that 
with how infrequent we sometimes are in God's word, what begins to happen is we are doing a whole host of things as parents that the culture is telling us is right and good and we're ignoring what God in his word has told us is right and good. But God puts it before us clearly. And so we are told in verses one to two that a child's obedience to his or her parents is right, right. And the rightness of it is then supported by a quote of the fifth commandment. That's what we get following there in verse two. Honor your father and your mother. This is one of the ten commandments. This is the fifth commandment. The first, dealing with horizontal relationships. The first four deal with our relationship to God. Vertical relationship. And the latter six involve our relationship to other human beings. The, the horizontal relationships that we have. And we find this li- these listed in Exodus 20, 12 and Deuteronomy 5, 16. To say that a child's obedience is right and that it is in accordance with God's moral law is also to say that it pleases the Lord. This is what makes God pleased. And so we find that in the parallel passage in Colossians 3.20. It says this, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. There are a lot of parallels in Colossians and Ephesians. These letters are very similar in terms of content and the way Paul says certain things. And the parallel passage in Colossians that we have to the one we're studying right now on children is just that. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And this is exactly what we see in the life of the Lord Jesus. Remember, as Jesus is baptized, the Father says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so we know that Jesus, all the way up until his baptism, was pleasing to the Father. He was always pleasing to God. He always obeyed God. And specifically, with regard to what we're talking about today, we know that Jesus, the Lord of glory, the creator of all things, obeyed his mom and dad. We know that because of Luke chapter 2, verse 51 says that Jesus went with his parents to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Even Jesus obeyed his parents. So if Jesus obeyed his earthly parents, who in the world are your kids and my kid not to obey us? What are we thinking by not training our children to obey us? The Lord himself incarnate obeyed. Mary and Joseph. So I want to say this to children. I won't won't point you out if we have, I know we have some. I won't look at you directly. Uh, But children, obedience to parents encapsulates, for now, your discipleship. I want you to think about that. You know, you, you think about kind of these, these massive youth retreats or these youth camps. When I was a youth pastor, I went to a lot of those where you go to these youth camps and you see, you know, it's, it's kind of, it works up to a grand finale kind of thing. And I'm not being critical. I'm just saying in some ways, some of them are healthier than others. But in some respects, it sort of works up to a grand finale. And on the grand finale night, you have all of these teenagers come pouring down to the front. 
And part of you says, praise God. This is amazing. These kids are turning from sin to the living God. It's amazing. But then, as a youth pastor, you're one of those who grabs your Bible and you go back into the back room and you just kind of, you wait. You know, the youth pastors go back there and they wait. And then they start pouring out. And you're going to counsel them. You're going to pull up a chair. You're going to sit across them. You're going to talk to them about Jesus. You're going to talk to them. What's God doing in your heart? What's God saying to you? What, what did you get out of this sermon? You're going to talk with them. And, and so frequently it was the case, discouragingly so, that no sense of the gospel, no, no, no indication of faith in a crucified Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and his resurrection from the dead as a basis for our hope. So often the case, there's just not really substance there, I found. Not universally so, but sometimes that is the case. But let's say that that was the case, that, that in some of those cases, those teenagers turned from sin and turned to God in faith. They put their faith in Christ, the crucified Jesus, and raised Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and hope for the life to come. And they were transformed, the Holy Spirit indwelt them and they leave. Here's what I want you to see. Everything that that means for them is encapsulated in this one command. Obey your mother and father. Which means that if a teenager were to go to such a camp and, and receive Christ and come home and, and read his or her Bible and listen to Christian music and change up all the friends they have or whatever the case might be, but fails to obey mom and dad, that is a demonstration of a lack of real godly fruit because we know that the presence of the Holy Spirit, the fruit that is born in the discipleship of a child under his or her parents' rearing is to obey them. That is God's will for you, child being raised by your parents. It encapsulates your obedience to God. Your discipleship without that is no discipleship at all. Parents, I want to just say this. If this is God's top priority, this here, of all the things that God would say to children through his word here in this passage and in the parallel passage in Colossians, of all the things that God would say to children, he says this one thing, obey your parents Obey your mother and father. So here's what I want you to see, parent. If this is God's top priority for your child, the creator's top priority for your child, it should be your top priority for your child. Which means that all the other things that you're trying to do for your child are subservient and secondary to this one thing. Train them to obey you. That is what the Lord says in his word. So what does a child's obedience look like in practice? This thing that is right, as we learn here, that is pleasing to the Lord, as we learn in Colossians 3, that is in accordance with God's will, his design, and his law, his eternal moral law. What does it look like in practice? Well, the first thing to consider is that a child's obedience is a specific application of a general command for sons and daughters to honor their parents. So we see this in verse two, that obedience is listed first and then honor. Obedience is the specific way in which children who are being raised by their mom and dad 
honor their parents. That looks different as you grow up and move out of the home, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But right now, what I want to do is just look at what it means to honor our parents in general terms. Just want to mention a few things, a handful of things that I think this means. When we think about honoring our parents, what does that look like? First, I think it means that we esteem them. We esteem them. We hold them up in high regard. Now, in some ways, I think this has to do with your mind. And this means that any thought that comes into your mind that kind of cuts the knees out from under your parents, cuts the legs out from under your parents, any, any thought that comes into your mind that begins to clutter you, all the things your parents didn't do right when they raised you, all of the things that, that maybe, that, that, you know, they, all the things they failed in or what they said to you 10 years ago or this or that or whatever else, that, that that then creates in you, for your mind, in your mind, a sort of dethroning, so to speak, a de-esteeming of your parents. You protect your mind from that. You decide in your mind, in my mind, I will honor my mom and dad. In my mind, I will esteem them. I will hold them up. I will keep them lifted high, always in my mind. It's a mental battle because our parents aren't perfect. Not a single person in here has perfect parents. So we esteem them. And we never let go of that. We speak well of them. Do you speak well of your parents to other people? Even to your spouse. How do you talk about your mom and your dad, to listen to them with respect. This means that I think to honor your parents is to be one who receives. And here's the thing, we love our parents more with our ears than with our lips. Think about that. In relating to our parents, we should primarily relate to them with our ears as opposed to our mouths. How many of us relate, have much to say we're around our mom and dad? Maybe about our political views, about the things that we think, our opinions. Our opinions are just flowing out. And we're very much concerned with what we think, what's in our mind, what we would like to say, as opposed to what they have to say. When you read through the book of Proverbs, you get the image of a mother and father who are instructing and teaching and imparting wisdom to their children. Do you listen? Do you listen respectfully to your parents? When you exhort them, <laughs> when you exhort them, do you do it with gentleness? Not rebuking them. Mom, dad, you know, this kind of sharp tone that we can take with our parents, no matter how old we are. Do we rebuke them with this kind of tone or do we exhort them with gentleness? Listen to these words in 1 Timothy 5.1. It's what Paul says to Timothy, the pastor. He says, do not rebuke an older man but encourage him as you would a father. In other words, Paul is recognizing that the way that Timothy as a pastor relates to older men in the church is analogous to the way that he relates to his earthly father. He may have some things to say. He may have some encouragements, so some exhortations, but those should be done in a gentle, encouraging way as opposed to a sharp, rebuking way. And that's exactly how we, no matter the age, relate to our parents, to thank them. They gave us life. We sit here and breathe because our parents gave us life. We would not exist apart from these precious souls who, even if they failed from that point forward, gave us life. We have life. 
And in a lot of cases, they cared for us. They struggled with our sin. They struggled through our foolishness. They struggled through all that folly that's wound up in our hearts that we talked about last week. They sort of pulled that apart and did surgical work on that and trained us and struggled and wrestled and cried themselves to sleep at night and so forth. And they exposed us to the word of God. How many of you are here today because your parents taught you about Jesus? They told you that there was a God who made them, that, they were made in, that you were made in his image, and that this God loved the world so much that he sent his only son that everyone who believes in him would not perish. How many of your parents taught you that? Do they know you're thankful? Do they know you're grateful? For they're exposing you to the word of God. And finally, to care for them in old age. This looks different from person to person. I know some of you are working through this right now. But listen to these words in 1 Timothy 5, 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. Do you hear that? To make some return to their parents. Return for what? For everything I just mentioned. Some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God in other words Paul is telling Timothy hey if you have widows in the church encourage their families to take care of them first and foremost before the church steps in and supports them financially and takes care of them encourage their family to step up to the plate and take care of them in their old age this is godly honoring of parents this is, this is expected of us. Jesus repeats the idea, or Jesus gives the idea in Mark 7, 9 to 13, where the Pharisees are encouraging this tradition whereby sons can decide that they, out of anger perhaps for their parents, can decide, I'm not giving you, my, I'm not giving you what, what the money that I have left over. I'm going to set this aside and give it to the Lord. And so it was kind of a leverage that they could use against their parents. It was given to God, korban is this idea. You read about it in Mark chapter 7. And this was something that people were doing. And the Pharisees were supporting this and encouraging this. Jesus says, no, you nullify by doing that the commandment to honor your father and your mother. The commandment which he obeyed at the cross. As he's hanging there on that cross and he looks to the apostle John and he says, take care of my mother. Behold your son. Behold your mother. And so he secured, even dying, bleeding to death, bearing the wrath of God, he secured a future for his mom as he's dying on the cross. Once again, 12 years old, submitted to his parents. 33 on the cross, he did the very same thing. He honored his mother. And this larger category of honoring is applied to children as obedience. So listen to this quote by J.C. Ryle. I think it captures well the essence of obedience. We think about applying all of this to children. Hear what he says in these words. Determine to make your children obey you. You know what? If, if we left today with that determination in the heart of every mom and dad, praise God. Determination, serious determination and resolve. I will train my children to obey me in accordance with God's word. Determine to make your children obey you. 
though it may cost you much trouble, and it most certainly will, I'm sure, many of you can attest to that, and cost them many tears. Many tears, maybe. Many spankings. Let there be no questioning and reasoning and disputing and delaying and answering again. We all know that our children do this stuff. They do all of those things. When you give them a command, let them see plainly that you will have it done. Train them. That's what we are told to do in God's word. Before we move on, I want to ask parents one question that bears on what we just talked about. Do your children see you honoring your parents? Because here's the thing. How foolish is it for you to train your children to obey you as a subset of honoring you? How foolish would that be when you then treat your parents as nothing? No matter how frustrating they may be. You treat your parents the way that your children will more than likely grow up to treat you. You model your own treatment when you're old by the way that you treat your mom and dad. So I just want to plead with you, let your children see a tremendous amount of honor that you, parent, show your parents. So first, a child's obedience pleases the Lord. The second thing to look at this morning is that a child's obedience begins with the heart. In chapter 6, verse 1, we read, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. Remember that all of the instructions that we've looked at in this series, starting in chapter 5, verse 22, all of these are for those who have the Holy Spirit. Paul is speaking in the context of the local church. He is speaking to those who are filled with the Spirit. The context, is for, the, the, the context for these commands is a worshipful, Spirit-filled life, which is why he starts out in, in verse 18. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to describe what that means. And immediately after that, he looks at what being filled with the Spirit looks like for wives, what being filled with the Spirit looks like for husbands, and now what being filled with the Spirit looks like specifically for children. So, for example, wives are told to submit to their own husbands, what? As to the Lord. And that is what we find here with children. Paul is addressing Christian children who obey in the Lord. We find these words, in the Lord, or as to the Lord. The same idea is at work. This means that the obedience to which Paul is referring is an obedience that springs from a heart that is turned towards God. God. And here's the main thing I want you to see. Whether your children are believers or not, whether they've reached that age to where they trust in Christ, or if they have and they haven't trusted yet, or if they're young, whether they are believers or not, to train them in obedience is to shepherd their heart. It begins with the heart. It's not about behavior. It's about the heart. So Ted Tripp writes in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, and I will say, this is a great book. You should buy it. It's out there on the, book, on the bookshelves. So this is one of those, you know, as you think about having maybe one or two books on the major topics of life, this would, I think, fit in that category. Top three. Very good book. Get it, read it, use it, think through it. He says this. What must you do 
say it this way. What must you do in correction and discipline? He's asking the question. You must require proper behavior. Yeah, behavior matters. You must require it. God's law demands that. You cannot, however, be satisfied to leave the matter there. And that's the mistake that so many parents make. As long as when they speak, their child comes or their child puts down that thing or their child does whatever, then that's okay. We, we achieved. We, we've made it. We've, we've reached our goal. Not the case. You must help your child ask the questions that will expose that attitude of the heart that has resulted in wrong behavior. Why did they do what they did? What's seething in there? What's growing in that heart? How did his heart stray to produce this behavior? In what characteristic ways has his inability or refusal to know, trust, and obey God resulted in actions and speech that are wrong? Because behind every action that is wrong, not right, you will find a lack of knowledge of, a lack of trust in, and a lack of obedience towards God. That is the most fundamental relationship, and that's at the heart of everything. So, let me give it to you this way. What is your goal as a parent? Think about it this way. It's singular. You have one goal as a parent, that your child become a worshiper. That's it. It's simple. It's that simple. If you hit that, boom, success. Your child becoming a worshiper of the living God so that he can obey you, he or she can obey you in the Lord or as to the Lord, in the power of the Holy Spirit, for the sake of God, in Christ. That is your goal as a parent. Million faults are covered over by success there. Another thing I think is practical here is asking why questions. Asking your children about what's in their head and what's in their heart. Why did you do that? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? And this is something that Ted Tripp speaks about much in this book. Also helping them to see the origin of their disobedience. You are training them in introspection. You are training them to look inward and to analyze the motives of their own heart. You are training them to then reach a point where they will turn into their own sin and see it for what it is, as darkness in the face of God and turn from sin to God. That's what you want them to do. But if you just train up a Pharisee, if you just train up someone who just crosses all the T's and dots all the I's, never looks inward and realizes how much muck and darkness is inside of his or her heart, then we are not training worshipers. We are training self-righteous hypocrites. Who wants a self-righteous hypocrite? Who wants your son or your daughter to grow up and become a self-righteous hypocrite? I'm not raising my hand. I don't want that. I'm sure you don't want that either. Understanding their idols. They have idols. They have idols. Things they worship with their little hearts. Things that for them are absolutes. Things that for them without which they cannot be happy. They have idols just like we do. We point them to Christ and to the new birth 
given by the Holy Spirit. See, only the Holy Spirit can make them have a new heart. Only the Holy Spirit can give them a new heart, write the law of God on their heart, and only the Holy Spirit can then guide them so that they walk in that spirit and they walk in a way that pleases the Lord and they walk towards conformity to Christ's image. Only the Holy Spirit can do that and only those who trust Christ have the Holy Spirit. So we point them to Christ. We want them to see Christ in all of his splendor, in all of his glory, what he accomplished at the cross, how he gives us a new heart by his spirit. That's what we're after with children. We are producing by God's grace and much wisdom and much prayer and much training and much toil worshipers of the living God. So a child's obedience begins with the heart. Thirdly, a child's obedience prepares for life. And here I want to draw your attention once again to this word in verse 2, honor. This one word, honor. Listen to this quote by John Frame in his book, The Doctrine of the Christian Life. He says this, I, lo- I love this quote. The family is the basic unit of human society. All the institutions of society, prophetic, priestly, and kingly, begin in the family. To children, parents are rulers, educators, providers, and evangelists. All of those things. All other forms of authority, and this is so important, listen to this. All other forms of authority are extended forms of fatherhood and motherhood. Did you get that? All other forms of authority are extended forms of fatherhood and motherhood. The family is the fundamental sphere from which all others are derived. Honor, here's the point. Honor in all spheres is derived from parental honor. A child's obedience prepares them for life. We all know that we are training our children for adulthood. We implicitly know that, although sometimes we don't explicitly think about it. We know that we are training our children to grow up and be like us. Sometimes we forget that. We want them to be cute and cuddly and small and, you know, say, say their words all funny. We want them to do that for a long time, but they, they don't. They grow up and they become men and they become women. We're training them for adulthood. But have you considered that you are training your children for a lifetime of honoring those for whom honor is due? As it says in Romans chapter 13. Are you training your children to honor those for whom honor is due? When we fail to train our children to honor parents through obedience, we set them up for a life of dishonoring other people. If they cannot honor mom and dad, they will not honor anyone. They will live a self-centered, vile, wicked, godless life in which they are the center of the universe, in which there is no love for neighbor, in which there is only self Centeredness, And we see this first and foremost with God, the way that they will relate to God. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 25, it's a great illustration. There is Eli, he's a priest, he has two wicked sons. They are sleeping with women at the entrance to the holy place. They are defiling the sacrifices. These are wicked men. And Eli's, this is what it says, Eli's sons would not listen to the voice of their father. This was 
what they were. They were disobedient sons. They did not listen to their father. Their father did not train them in obedience. They refused his voice. They refused his word. And listen to what we get in 1 Samuel 2.12. They were wicked men who had no regard for the Lord. They did not honor God because they had not been trained to honor their father. How in the world can you train a God whom you've not seen, a father whom you've not seen, when you can't honor your father whom you have seen, who, whom you've seen make sacrifices for you, who, whom you've known since you were a small, tiny child? When we do not train our children to honor us and obey us, we set them up for a life in which they will not honor God. They will be wicked men who have no regard for the Lord. Is that what you want for your son? Is that what you want for your daughter? You are preparing them also, keep this in mind, to be a healthy church member and a healthy citizen. First, a citizen. All throughout the New Testament, we are told repeatedly that we are to honor certain individuals. Honor the king. Honor rulers and magistrates. All of this dishonoring of police that we see in our culture today, this lack of regard for any authority begins here. This is where it starts. Children who are not trained to honor and obey their mothers and fathers grow up and dishonor all forms of authority. They throw off every form of authority and live as though they, once again, are at the top and at the center. That is a miserable, wretched life, to live a life where you think, wrongly so, that you are at the top and you are at the center. And that is a life that ends in hell. So honoring police, rulers, and honoring elders in a church that is something that you are, you are training your children in the faith to go, grow up and become good church members, to grow up and become those who, who honor elders and those who are appointed over them. That is what we're told in the Bible. So whether we're talking about citizens of a state or members of a church, we are talking about individuals who will need to give honor to whom honor is due. And we're told in the New Testament even this, 1 Peter 2.17, honor everyone. Romans 12, 10, outdo one another in showing honor. There is a general kind of honor that we give to all people. And especially those who are of the household of the faith, those who are Christians. And you need to see this. All of this, all of this is built on parenting. If they won't honor us, they won't honor those to whom honor is due. As we finish this morning, I want to look at the last thing that we can gather from this passage and that is a child's obedience brings happiness. Look at chapter six, verses two to three. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. If you were to ask most parents, just even on the street, anywhere, if you were to ask most parents what they want for their child, the answer is always the same. Almost always the same. I just want them to be happy. I just want them to be happy. We all say that. Nine out of ten probably would say that. Maybe ten out of ten. I just want them to be happy. Rightly so. Of course. Of course I want my son to grow up and be happy. 
And I'm sure that you want your children to grow up and to be happy. Who wants their child to be sorrowful, miserable, wretched? Nobody. We all want happiness for our child. I want you to see this. Here we are told, by the creator of the universe, by the creator of your child, my child, we are told, the path for future happiness for our children. And it is this, obedience to parents. It's that simple. And it even comes with a promise. And I can't tell you how this works out in God's providence over life. But I can tell you that it says it here in his word. That this is the first commandment with a promise. Paul is quoting the Ten Commandments. There, in that, he's quoting that particular commandment. The fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. And he goes on to say from that, that this is the first commandment. In parentheses, really, this is the first commandment with a promise. And then he quotes the, remain, the promise in verse 3. This is the path to blessedness for your children. Blessings for those who obey, prosperity and longevity, whatever that means in God's providential plan. And in Deuteronomy 27, 16, we see the opposite. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. Cursed. Under the old covenant, we read in Exodus 21, 15, that whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. How many times do we see kids smack their parents in the face? And we put up with that. We, we, we abide with that. We, we, we let that occur. In ancient Israel, such a one would have been put to death of a certain age, would have been put to death. Verse 17, whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. There's another passage that talks about a, a disobedient child. Parents discipline him and, and it won't work. They are to bring that child before the elders of the city. And they are to say, this child will not listen, he will not obey, and the elders of the city, the people of the city, are to stone him at his front door. That was in the old covenant. That was good and right and righteous in ancient Israel. But we are not under the old covenant. Some of you are going, we're not under the old covenant. But here's what you need to see. It's that serious. It is that serious to God their maker. It is that serious to the God who has entrusted them to your care. So, we must take the long view as regards our children's happiness. And I want to finish with these two quotes from God's word. Hebrews 12, 11 says this. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Isn't that the truth? I remember that when I was a child and my father spanked me. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I want you to see this. If you live for that moment, that temporary moment as a parent, and that's your focus and that's all you're thinking about, you're not gonna discipline your children because you're gonna see those tears and you're gonna think, oh, they're not happy and I want their happiness. And so if I do this, they're not gonna be happy. No, that's not true. It's a momentary thing. Because it says this, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Parents must take the long view, not be moved by the momentary. Parents must take the long view in disciplining their children. Proverbs 23, 13 to 14 says this, very bald statement here. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. 
He won't die. He'll be all right. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from hell. Wow. He's not going to die when you give him a spanking. Even if he cries a lot, he's not going to die. She's, she and he, not just sons, they will not die. But you will save their soul, it says, from hell. Now let me nuance that a bit. We don't provoke them and we don't abuse them. Remember, they are precious blessings from the Lord. And we'll see that. Chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. We are doing this delicately and gently and with much patience and kindness and love and affection. And all of that is, is, is just coding every spanking. Every time we must pull that rod out or that wooden spoon or whatever else it is that you use. We don't provoke them. We don't abuse them. But we must, parents, we must discipline our children to obey us. They are precious treasures to be raised for the glory of God on the earth. Where will your children, where will my children be decades from now when we are gone? Will they be making much of the Lord God in his world? Let's pray. Our Father, Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this wisdom from your word. God, thank you for love, the love of Christ, which covers a multitude of sins. God, I know that not a single one of us in this room, whether we have already raised our children or whether we are in the process of doing that or maybe looking forward to it, not, 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 any, not a single parent, Lord, we recognize is perfect faultless. And God, I pray especially for those who've already raised their children. Undoubtedly, Father, it is the case that whether they have applied themselves to your truth and your wisdom in the process or not, that to hear a sermon like this, to see your word clearly for those who are setting out on this course can be discouraging. It can be a moment where regrets and remorse and guilt and other things are just sort of surfacing to the top of the mind, Father. And I pray that your grace will relieve that. And more than that, God, I pray that instead of those feelings of regret and remorse, that you will replace those with the desire from this day forward to encourage young men to do as God's word says. Young women to do as God's word says. That Titus 2 would become a true model that women would instruct younger women not just in what they ought to do, but in things they should not do, that they themselves did, and that, that they recognized was not right and was not good and was not helpful, and that by this, Lord God, wisdom would be transferred from one generation to the next as we, as we repent of our sins, as we entrust our failures to you, and as we pass on wisdom to the next generation. God, would you help us be a godly church, a church in which we are sharpening one another, bearing one another's burdens, and above all, I pray today that we as parents will train our children in obedience, with much patience, gentleness, and your Holy Spirit's wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.